Welcome back to the Marion Flaxman Network Podcast. On today's episode, an interview with my teenage daughter, Aurora Bosco. Aurora is a high school senior, an intern at the Soho Forum in New York City, and a subject matter expert on topics such as childhood food allergies and teenage mental health. Please enjoy my conversation with Aurora Bosco. Aurora. Welcome to the uh, podcast. Thanks for having me. It's an honor and a pleasure. I'm really excited to be here. Oh my gosh, no. The pleasure is mine. Oh my gosh, no. Please. Oh my gosh, no. Please stop. Okay, so I wanted to start um, by sort of stage setting in a few different ways. Obviously, it's low-hanging fruit to have you here because you are my child, <laughs> but it's also very important I'm to have you really here. As, she's very busy. You are, actually. You're busier than <laughs> I am bit. right now in some ways, um, especially, and we'll get into this, applying to college and going into your senior year of high school, which is so bizarre because Crazy. I'm currently the age my mother was when she had me. I'm actually still not as old as my mom was when she had me and you are going to be a senior in high school crazy so that's a fun stat um but it's also important to me that you're here because first of all you are the reason that I started doing everything that I do it was your birth that set me off on my windy path and my journey of exploration and discovery and curiosity Really kind of, I owe it all to you. So thanks, by the way. Oh, you're welcome. Um, you know, no big deal. Yeah, it's fine. And also because I do think, and I mentioned this to you before, that there are a lot of conversations happening in the public health sphere about teenage health and mental health, and yet I never hear anyone talking to teenagers about it. So in the spirit of having no skinny experts and talking to real people with real lived experiences who are experts in their own right. I thought it'd be really fun to speak with you about teenage health and mental health and all those really critical topics in public health. So thanks for being here and for talking with me about those things. Of course. I would love to talk to you about those things. Wonderful. Thank you. So let's get right to it. Let's do it. Let's talk about how you and I first met. I remember it fondly. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember like the the very first moments? There is that famous picture, the bloody pic pic that you and I, um, or maybe just me, (laughs) share every year, every single year without fail on my birthday. Maybe it's just me that shares it, but it's very rare to have such a perfect encapsulation in a photo of that magical first moment of knowing someone. And I, I'm not totally sure who took that picture to be honest, but. They nailed it. It's just a perfect moment, and it really just shows how absolutely zen I was because I did give birth to you, (laughs) not in a hospital. I was, you know, 18 when I got pregnant, and I thought, I think I'll do an out-of-hospital hypnobirth with self-hypnosis. I mean, yeah, let's just take a second. I mean, this, okay, two years my senior when you had me. Right? Uh, yes, I was 19 and a half right. when you were born. I'm just about 17 and a half. So yeah. it, from, I mean, obviously two years can do a lot growth wise, but I, that's wild. Like that's <laughs> absolutely wild. I could not possibly picture like embarking on a journey like that. So well, Congrats. obviously, <laughs> anything to Let's meet you. Let's give it up for you. Woohoo! Teen pregnancy. Let's Yay. hear it. I, I will say, and I have mentioned this elsewhere or previously, but 
my mom had stage four cancer when I was um, like a young teen, like 13. And so I spent all this time in yucky yuck hospitals and very much lived firsthand um, the Jim Gaffigan comedy routine of like, so you want your wife to give birth in a place that people go to to die? Like when I got pregnant, I was thinking, okay, well, I just spent two years in a hospital watching people die or come close to dying, and that doesn't really scream healthy, happy birthing experience to me. So, yeah, I was seeking alternatives to that, um, what I perceived as just like a very uncomfortable and yucky experience. Right. And I'm glad because – it was beneficial. I think actually something that I don't talk a lot about, but I think I have told you about is that I was super not like spiritual, intuitive, in touch with my sort of inner self at all. As a kid, I had none of that. And then when I got into hypnobirth, um, it was pretty much my full-time job to just be meditating all day, preparing for your birth. And it was like a spiritual awakening for me. Yeah. Because when you meditate for like six hours a day, like shit gets weird. (laughs) It gets weird pretty fast. And so I was joking earlier that, you know, I was going to ask you if you recall when we met. And I recall that we first met in my dreams. Right. This is a crazy story, guys. Like three days before I gave birth, I had this absolutely radical dream that I like (laughs) lifted out of my body and I was like hitting your dad like hey 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 do you see me I'm like floating out of my body (laughs) um I don't think I actually hit him but in the dream I was hitting him right I floated out of my body I went up into this big room of white light and someone handed me this little like squishy red baby and said it's a girl and before that I was so sure you were a boy (gasps) And then I woke up from that dream and I was like, it's a girl. And then three days later, I went into labor. I had you. And when they handed you to me, you were quite red (laughs) and, you know, fleshy. And you were a girl. Wow. So I was like, whoa. Whoa. We met met in that room of light. And if you can believe it, guys, from the hypnobirth, she just kept getting more radical. (laughs) Just hasn't stopped. And she only got weirder (laughs) after that day. It's okay, though. I also will say that um, I was silent when I gave right. birth to you. That's and it's crazy. The media loves to portray birth as a loud event. <sighs> yeah, lots of screaming. Um, and famously, my dad was in the next room, and he was like, "Is Marion okay? <laughs> I don't hear anything." Um, your mom was screaming when she gave birth to you. Right. And then he suddenly heard you crying, and he was like, oh. "What the hell?" <laughs> that baby come from so hypnobirth this is a plug for that I actually was thinking I might want to ask um, the amazing woman who taught me hypnobirth we are still in touch oh my gosh and I think I might want to have her on as a guest yeah totally because we got to spread the good word yes I think that maternal health is a very critical topic in public health right now sure it is and uh, I think hypnobirth could really help with some of the issues because it really is empowering do you think that the majority of women who are giving birth in the modern age would be open to that or like do you think it it would take some time to like latch on I think it needs a rebrand yeah because um I know for myself and a lot of people that I know the concept of hypnosis sounds scary right and I actually think it's a misnomer 
I mean, maybe if you pulled up the dictionary definition of hypnosis, it would be accurate to what yeah. you do for hypnobirth. But my experience of it was that it was just training you to meditate right. while giving birth as a way of controlling your nervous system right. so that you don't have this exaggerated um, sympathetic response to the birthing process. Right. So you stay in control. Right. And the idea that controlling your breath controls everything. Right was very much what I learned from that. And so I just think like when you say to someone, oh yeah, I did hypnobirth, it sounds like you had some person like swinging a pendulum right. in front of it you like and bogus. you were like, yeah. <laughs> well, I think that like when a lot of people hear hypnosis, they think of like those people that could like come into your high school and like line everyone up and like, or like sleep, sleep, sleep. Exactly. So it just sounds like, yeah, like bogus. Exactly. And it wasn't like that at all. Right. It was very much like you're just going to meditate a lot and get yourself into this really calm place. Right. So, and I think the average American woman, I think, maybe I'm projecting, but likes to feel in control. Yeah. And what I like about hypnobirth and like having functional control over your nervous system by mm -hmm. controlling your breath and your mind is that you remain in control right? in this very uncontrolled situation. Right. I mean, the fact that for 12 hours I was able to breathe right. and be silent and then bring a human, an eight-pound human, into the world with no drugs and no doctors and no assistance, you know, that's very empowering. I was in control of my situation and I really was using my breath and my nervous system to maintain that control. So maybe we need to like create a new birthing education thing that's called like, I don't know, breath control birth or something. <laughs> it's called birth control. <laughs> I don't think that name is taken. No. No, that's a brand no, new. No, that sounds new. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a new concept. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, obviously I was a teen mom. Like right. you said, I was 18 when I got pregnant, 19 when you were born. Yeah. And here we are. Here we are. I pretty much spent my whole life saying like, oh, one day Aurora is going to be the age and I'm going to be 36 and old. And here we are. Womp, womp. I am. I think it's kind of weird it's that we're weird. here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell me about it. Well, I feel like obviously like as a conscious human, like you come online like way earlier. So it's not like I like haven't been aware of myself until now, but like. On, being on this brink of like I don't want to say childhood to adulthood but like almost right like not that like turning 18 makes you an adult or like going to college makes you an adult but it's like I'm leaving like like everything I've ever known and like embarking on a new phase of my life like that's really weird like I've like you know gone from like elementary school to middle school or like middle school to high school or like I've moved and like I've you know embarked on different journeys but um it's like it's a it's a new one like it's a totally and it's a very like um monumental one and so it's really weird I don't want to like overstate it but that's what it feels like for me no um, you're totally right it's huge <laughs> yeah it's massive um and I mean for me I think that I didn't appreciate how huge of a change that was when I left high school I think I was overly chill about this idea that I would just go to college and it would be like of course like I'll just ace it right and I think the transition was hard yeah and I've told you this before but not on camera or on a microphone but I think that a lot of the things about you that make you 
unique will actually make you very well prepared for the next phase. Like you know how to feed yourself and you know how to do laundry and you have experience balancing a job with school. Um, you know how to drive, you know, you're fairly responsible, you have your moments. <laughs> and I just think like a lot of teenagers, myself included, were pretty like coddled right up until that moment right. that you leave. And then everyone just expects like that you'll figure it out. Right. Um, so I think it's, I think it's good that mm -hmm. you're aware of what a huge change it is. Um, I, for one, am in denial, <laughs> and I like that I'm as well. I'm sort of in denial, too. Yeah. I mean, how, like, we're here. We're at, like, senior year. If, you know, like, when you have, like, like, an event coming up, and, like, it hasn't happened yet, so, like, you're not, you haven't fully processed that it's going to happen, it's, like, that's what it feels like. I'm embarking, like, I'm about to start my last year of high school, but, like, I've never done that before, so, like, I'm in, like, that's not happening. Right. What is that? What is that? What is that? Well, let's talk about it. So what is your senior year going to look like? Well, okay. I'm actually really excited for my senior year because, first of all, I've heard, I've heard really good things besides, like, the first quarter. About being a senior. <laughs> About being a senior. I've heard good things. I've heard good things. I have. I've heard good reviews. Um, the fall will probably be very stressful. Obviously, college apps, um, the Common App, most schools open on August 1st, which is... In, in three days. Seconds. Yep, three days. So um, finishing my essays, getting my applications in, seeing any last schools, doing any last research, that's what's going to look like at first. And then when my classes start on August 28th, I'll be enrolled in, um, I only have six classes this year, and my seventh period is free, which is very exciting. Is that your internship? That's my internship. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'll be taking, um, four APs and two regular classes. I'm taking AP European history. Oh, fun. AP comparative government. <gasps> fun. Yeah. AP lit, which is like. It's lit. It's, it's lit. And then I'm taking AP. I always forget one. What is it? Partying. Yeah. I will be taking AP partying. <laughs> That's in college. Right. Sorry. Wait, no. What is it? Lit, comp, euro. Oh, stats. No. No. That's regular? No, econ. Econ. AP macro micro. Yes. Okay. AP econ. And then I'm taking my math class is going to be um, quant lit. Okay. Which is quantitative literacy. Right. Which Real is like world stats. math. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. And then I'm taking yearbook, and I'm going to be an editor this year. Right. So that's fun. That's so exciting. Yeah. I also just want to say, like, those classes are really setting you up to be a leader in the world of public health. I mean, not to project, oh. but economics and quantitative literacy, I just think you're ready. Yep. Just yep. throw her into epi, folks. She's sure. ready for epidemiology. Let's do it. Speaking of epidemiology. Okay, let's do real it. Real quick. <laughs> let's go. I want to touch on a topic that's very near and dear to both of us mm -hmm. and also is very critical to the public health conversation right now. And that is the topic of childhood food allergy epidemiology. Never heard of it. Tell me more. I have never once talked about this <laughs> over dinner, breakfast, the car ride to school, long car trips, yep. knocking on your door and bursting my head in. <laughs> This is her first time ever hearing me speak on this topic. 
because I'm very reserved and quiet yep. and I just don't share things. Never go on. It's hard being this shy this. And, and being so not prone to spiraling. But obviously, when you were born, you had some eczema and were a little fussy. Mm-hmm. And I had this feeling that it was something in my diet. And it was, and I ended up changing my diet. Right. I was eating a very low allergen diet while I was nursing Extremely you. Extremely low. Point. <laughs> at one point, I was literally eating just zucchini uh, and brown rice and that olive oil. sounds like a thrill. That signed me up. Mm-mm, but it was a weight loss diet. I'll tell you what. You want to drop that baby weight? You eat a zucchini, brown rice, and olive oil diet for two weeks straight. I don't know about the olive oil. That might rack up some calories. You know, they were important calories. I, I would have died. I would have been literally dead. I was nursing a baby. Anyway, around a year, we did have you tested and figured out that you had some true anaphylactic food allergies and also that you had... Um, what I would basically call celiac disease, though you've never been formally screened. You were consuming um, gluten, and then we took you off gluten, and all of your eczema went away, and then you did not test positive to wheat as an allergen, as an anaphylactic allergen, but any time we reintroduced gluten, you would get severe eczema as well as asthma. So we'll just call it celiac or potentially non-celiac gluten sensitivity. Sure. Either way, it was impacting your immune system. Um, and at the time, 2006, 2007, childhood food allergies, they weren't not a topic, but they were not the topic that they are now. Right. Um, and I do have some data in front of me. So in 2007, approximately 3 million children had food allergies worldwide uh in the u.s US. alone yeah and comparing that to the data from today let's see it's higher in 2021 and just so you know the rates are increasing every year um it's up to four million children and 20 million people in the U.S. Oh, wow. So people are not outgrowing the allergies, and there are also now many instances of adult-onset food allergy. Wow. So yeah. what's what's causing this? Well, I'm so glad that you asked. Of course, the, the research is um, still happening, but I had this intuitive feeling when you were a baby that it was related to the microbiome right. because I had had so many rounds of antibiotics. My gut microbiome was so destroyed and I had this kind of very basic, not scientific, but just intuitive thought like, okay, my gut's been destroyed, so I have a leaky gut. So these proteins are slipping non-digested into my bloodstream and that's making your immune system react to them and that's causing a food allergy. Literally was just like a gut feeling I had. And now pretty much that's it. Like that's the lead. Right. That's where science has gone. That's where microbiome research currently is. There are um, some companies that are doing this research. They are working towards creating therapeutics. So one company who I met the founder of is called Ciolta Therapeutics. They're based out in California. Mm -hmm. And they are actually doing a study that is on the maternal microbiome oh boy. and looking at the mother-infant microbiome axis, right. how microbes are transferred from mother to baby. 
and what microbes might predispose a baby to food allergies or perhaps more importantly, the absence of what microbes. Wow. Because there are certain bacteria that are shown to um, play a critical role in the sealing of the gut lining. And when you don't have an adequately sealed gut lining, you have antigen trafficking across the gut barrier, right? All things I can comprehend. All things yes. that totally make sense. <laughs> I think anyone can comprehend it. And I actually think that I will do an episode soon just introducing what the microbiome is. Totally. Um, because I think that I talk about it a lot and I just assume that everyone's like keeping up to date with it the way no, that I am. No one else got their master's at Georgetown for biomedical health policy. That's true. That's true. No one else spent the last year doing nothing but writing a 30 page paper right. on the role of the microbiome in all sorts of diseases with a strong focus on autoimmune <laughs> and allergies. So I get that. So I will do a quick episode breaking down the basics of the microbiome, but suffice to say that there was likely some keystone bacterial species missing from your gut. Right. And also, um, one of the critical things for gut development in a baby is that breast milk has uh, a richness of both microbes and also these compounds called HMOs, mm -hmm. um, a certain kind of undigestible carbohydrate that bacteria feed on. And my guess, again, this is a hunch. I don't have a like a paper supporting this. Sure. I, maybe I could find one, but I, I don't have one at my fingertips. Right. My guess is that for certain women with certain types of um, dysbiosis who, who like, like myself, took way too many antibiotics, that we are not producing these HMOs, mm. that our breast milk is not rich in this food that okay. is required. Because probably gut bacteria, it's probably a cyclical relationship, right? There's probably something symbiotic where somebody with a well-developed microbiome is producing a large amount of the HMOs in their breast milk to feed the next generation of microbes. So when they're missing, they're missing. Um, but it's exciting to think about the fact that I had this gut instinct and now science is... Backing it up. Backing it up. Validating you. I am validated. You are so validated. Am I valid right now? Yeah. I, I feel am. valid. But the sad thing is that the reason that science cares about it is that rates of food allergies have been exploding. Right. Um, so obviously you know yourself and you have multiple food allergies. I do. Um, so I want to hear about that, about your experience with that. But I also want to hear from you. Among your peers, um, yeah. are you aware of other people with allergies? How talked about it was the conversation, right? Like, I like there are peanut-free tables now. That wasn't oh, a thing when I was a kid. That was cute. Um, so let, let's let's hear about your experience being a kid and now a teenager right. with allergies. All right. So, okay, starting with the peanut-free table, as a that was always a good thing in my elementary schools from Ithaca to here. And it's a nice thought, but I always felt like a little bit segregated. Othered. So I never wanted to like indulge in that. Although, and like, I never felt like threatened by the presence of peanuts. And I know there's kids that do. So if that works for you, it works for you. And that's, that's cute. Um, having food allergies is 
it's interesting because I've never known anything other than it and so people will be like oh my god like I can't like I can't imagine like being you like oh my god that that would just suck like I'm so sorry and I'm like it's a bummer but I've never I don't really know what I'm missing to an extent I don't really know what I'm missing out on and it's literally just always been a part of my life like it is my reality and like I don't think about it day to day I mean like to the extent that I'm like not like eating out to the extent that like my meal is not you're alive so you're thinking about (laughs) it enough (laughs) yeah yeah we've had some close calls but um day to day it's not like super pressing it's to be honest since it has been my reality for 17 years it's like I'm very desensitized to it which I know pisses you off sometimes (laughs) but it's like since I know my limits and I know generally what's in what and like um, from working in a restaurant, I know how things are handled ish. Like everything, every place is different, but, um, um, it's hard to like take it so seriously when it's just like, that's my life. Um, I won't always list all my allergies or I won't like, of course I'll, I'll always check the ingredients, which I find is not something that people do. like flipping the box right label reading which is like every single thing I pick up at a grocery store I'm reading the label but that's not necessarily normal maybe they'll look at like the nutrition facts but like not even I think in fact there's a big movement right now trying to move the nutrition facts to the front because people are really that what does it hurt your wrist to turn the (laughs) box like Uh, so heavy (laughs) people just don't think about it they think like they think if it's important, it'll be on the front. And, oh, it has my, you know, 100% of my RDA, vitamin C. Health food, put it in the basket. Um, people really are susceptible to marketing. But I do think that one of the um, silver linings of your allergies was that it got all of us thinking more deeply about everything that we put in our body. In sure. fact, being pregnant with you actually got me on that train because – one of the pregnancy books that I was reading said something about how you shouldn't eat artificial food coloring while you're pregnant. And I was like, why? Is it, <laughs> is it bad? <laughs> like no one had ever said to me like food coloring could be toxic. Right. But then there it is in this like very mainstream book, like don't eat that while you're pregnant. Right. And I'm like, well, should I eat it when I'm not pregnant? Like right. if it'll poison my fetus, like <laughs> what, what is this thing? So um, there's a lot of value in that for sure. Yeah. Like thinking about what you're putting in your body. Like for me, like literally like, is this food going to kill me? And then also like, okay, like if I, if it won't, what's in it and what will it do to my body? Right. And that's something that you've really helped me, um, think about obviously cause that's like your whole thing. And like, <laughs> um, but it's helpful for sure. You know, when what you're putting in your body is actually going to benefit your body and not like hurt it. This that's is a, a win. Great, this is, that is a win. And that this is a great pivot point to two things that I wanted to cover. One is teenage mental health. Yeah. And the other is when you rebelled against me and ate gluten. Let's talk about it. You guys, let's get into it, okay? Because some teenagers rebel against their parents by smoking and drinking. And let's be honest, you've done that as well. (laughs) But the one that hurt me more. (laughs) Shut up. The The one that really burned me to the core. I'm like, sure, who who doesn't smoke a cigarette? But gluten, you would do that to me? 
I really did. She I, was really upset. I was very upset. I think what I said to you was, I spent 15 years manicuring your microbiome, and you would just throw that away. And here's the thing: is like at a certain point, you kind of just like let me do my thing. Like I was like still like on that train, and you were like, all right, like fine. And it's funny because it was around the time when I was also doing those more mainstream rebellious activities. So um, you could see a little correlation there, but. I just like I there wasn't even like there wasn't any exigence. It wasn't like, oh like this happens, like I'm gonna go eat this. It was just like, um, oh like I can eat this normal thing and not die. Like oh like my throat just itches a little bit and like oh like I have some pimples, like that's kind of random and like like I literally I remember like two summers ago I was like eating glutinous things and not really thinking about it. Like I, I went to like Rhode Island with my dad's family and we went to go get like food. And there was this, like, crab shack, and there were fries. And they were clearly breaded, but I was like, oh, like, I want these fries. And it won't kill me if I eat these heavily breaded fries. Oh, and they're so good. So, like, f- whatever. Um, oh, what was I saying? The, the <laughs> symptoms you experienced afterwards? Pimples, maybe? Right. Okay, so two summers ago, I was dibble-dabbling in some gluten. And I have memories in my snapchat of me being like ugh, like my skin is like this is the worst my skin's ever been like what is happening and so i'm like topically treating it and like whatever and it's just getting worse and worse and worse and worse and your body is like help me please listen to me it was rough i had i was never a kid with like acne i never had like that was never my thing and now looking back on it i could attribute that to the fact that i never consumed things that were poisonous to my body to an extent but um, I, I did then and it got really bad. I, it got really, really bad. Like, um, winter of my sophomore year was probably like the worst. It was like, it was really rough. Um, and looking back on it, I'm like, oh, like I know why your face was covered in acne. Like you were eating gluten. And in the moment I had no awareness of this, but we've talked about this. So like, it definitely was impacting me psychologically as well. Um, that was like a super weird time for me in a lot of different facets. Well, I want to quickly pivot from this. Okay. I want to give a quick backstory and then circle right back to this. Go ahead. When you were like six. Okay. I think you know this story, but your dad and his at the time wife, I think, were accidentally feeding you gluten because there was this company that stupidly made two brands of cookies, two skews of cookie. One was gluten free. And one was like spelt or some kind of like, quote unquote, healthier wheat, but like still full of gluten. And the box literally, it was identical, like the exact same label, (laughs) exactly the same. And so your dad very innocently was buying the exact same cookie because he saw them at my house and was like, oh, you know, cool. Like she likes those. Great. I'll buy them too. Except they bought the box with the gluten. And for two weeks, you would go to your dad's house for the weekend and come back to me and you would be a psychological mess. Like I had never seen you like that, throwing tantrums, screaming like you had you were never that kid. So unlike you were me. so even tempered. You really like I, yeah. was, I was a tantrum kid. You were not. You were very <laughs> chill. You were very sweet. So you were coming back every weekend and you were throwing tantrums. Your mood was all over the place. But that was the only quote unquote symptom. Right. If you were coming home with a skin rash, it would have been very obvious to me. Oh, he's poisoning her with something. You know, they're feeding her something weird. Right. But because it was just mood, I thought, oh, she's just having a hard time adjusting, whatever. On the third week when um, 
his wife brought you back. She said, hey, I just wanted to tell you we figured out that for the last two weeks we've been giving Aurora these cookies that have gluten. Totally are bad. You know, hopefully there was no symptoms. And I was like, aha. I had this sudden aha moment that you were having these psychological breakdowns because for some reason now I better understand the gut-brain connection, right? Like the gluten was disrupting your gut microbiome and it was disrupting your neurotransmitter production. It was making you mad and sad. So let's bring that back to... The Gluten Rebellion of 2021. Um, <laughs> mad and sad. The history so books will speak of this time. They will. So you were really mad and sad and having a lot of like, unfortunately, typical teenage feelings, right? right? So difficult to like in the moment trace it back to the gluten. But now in hindsight, now that you've gone back off the gluten, right? the connection feels more clear. Yeah. And I mean, like, I feel like. I'm not going to 100% attribute it to the gluten because, sure. like, <laughs> were there other factors? <laughs> a global pandemic, possibly. I mean, I don't want to harp on that too much, also, because, like, yeah, like, it was weird, but every literally everyone went through that. So, like, it's fine. But yeah, sure, there were things in my life that weren't ideal, and I was, like, not too thrilled about those. So, makes sense. But, um, it was a time for sure. And, um, I don't really know. I don't really remember like what the first step I took to like reheal was, but I think I'm still like still working on it, which is a bummer, but that's how it goes. And even up until like last summer, there were still things that I was like mindlessly consuming on occasion that I didn't even know consumed gluten right. or like traces of. Right. Um, And so that was still like, Oh, oops. I uh, didn't know that. And, it was nice because it didn't kill me, but didn't, you know, there were some adverse effects that weren't so ideal. So, right. And that is, it's important to the conversation because even these like alarming statistics on food allergy are not alarming enough because they only are considering anaphylactic food allergies, which are terrifying and dangerous and deadly, as we know. Right. But it's not talking about celiac disease which those rates are also skyrocketing or lactose intolerance lactose intolerance like huge a lot of people a lot of people i know have they're like oh yeah like my stomach hurts when i eat ice cream but i love ice cream so it's fine and i'm like that's like that's cool yeah that's cool totally you're like (laughs) that's totally fine if you don't mind the long-term consequences of this chronic disturbance to your microbiome then you are more than welcome to make those life choices that's on you but I'm just not. But I'm going to be over here not having chronic diarrhea. <laughs> but it's annoying because, like, gluten sneaks its way into literally everything. Yeah. So that is, like, yeah, like, I'm not as careful as maybe I was when I was, like, a little bitty bitty baby who had, like, a million food allergies. But I do still have to be very, like, aware because right. it's in everything. So let's do a little zoom in, zoom out. Yes. You know, you have your own personal experience. You have your own experience of allergies and also how what you eat impacts how you feel, both physically, mentally, emotionally, um, you know, using food to prevent illness, to make your skin feel better and your maybe focus and attention and mood feel better. Now, let's talk about how the average teenager eats and drinks and teenage mental health. Yes, let's talk about it. Um, I mean, even if the average teenager is physically active, like they're in multiple sports, they work out, um, doesn't mean that their diet is as clean as 
you know, mine might, well, okay, whatever, but, <laughs> you know, it's not 100% clean, and so um, the average teenager is obviously consuming gluten because it's whatever. Um, and not just gluten. I mean, there are many things that can disrupt the immune sure. system and the neurological system, food additives, artificial sweeteners, food coloring, right. preservatives. Um, right, but if we're talking about tea mental health, it is very prevalent. It's a very prevalent um, topic right now. Um, and I, it's impacted obviously by diet and exercise. And also, um, I don't want to be a hypocrite when I say this cause I am an enjoyer of the internet, but the media, the internet, all of that is impacting the way that we think. Um, cause it's been so heavily incorporated into modern culture and stuff like that. It's just like inescapable. Yeah. I mean, people are like literally like face tuning their videos right like nothing is real nothing is real anymore like how can a teen girl like when i was a teenage girl yes i would judge my thighs based on like the people on the cover of 17 magazine but, but it's at so least my friends much more accessible now well yeah and at, like there are girls in your school like girls that you know who are posting these like videos right. where they're like edited and like all like sexed up right and like i wasn't really ever seeing my peers like that right. there wasn't that same kind of internal pressure well then it's hard because you see all the positive feedback that they get and you're right. like well I, I want that right and so it's just a vicious cycle and it's so accessible and it's so like widespread and it's so like not i mean it is talked about but it's just kind of like normalized and so you can't really escape it. And also it's hard to tell the difference between real and fake. And it's also a vicious cycle because, like, you see it and then you don't want to put out something on the Internet that's subpar right. or, like, inferior to that. So right. then you're like, okay, well, maybe I, I have to indulge in that as well. And so then you're editing your stuff and then other people are seeing it and it's just it keeps going. It's like in Boston when you edited the fuzzies out of your hair. Okay, well, I needed to edit the fuzzies because it looked really weird. <laughs> I was like looking at this picture of me and my hair was a mess. And I was like, oh, it's not fair that your hair somehow looked solo. okay in it your was photo. A, I only posted the she solo like, photo. I edited the flyaways out. It's great. You can literally like, there's a tool on this app and you can be like erase or like patch. And you can like swipe it and turn it and it'll replace like the sky with like the segment of the picture where your hair is all fluffy and it looks totally normal kids these days totally normal <laughs> um so yeah i do feel like the teen mental health crisis the way that it's being framed this is my own opinion so i'm gonna say it and then you're welcome to agree or disagree with me okay um but it's an opinion rooted in both experience and also education i think that the teen mental health struggle narrative is being framed incorrectly in two ways it's being framed as either this like quote-unquote medical issue that needs pharmacological interventions or it's being framed as a very sort of strictly issue of the internet so like you're saying and it's very valid there's lots of fake internet stuff out there that makes girls feel like less than themselves that makes people question their value people spend a lot of time behind a screen and for sure that's not good for your brain um and actually i would highly recommend a recent episode of the hidden brain podcast they had a 
mental health quick plug for a different (laughs) competitor podcast um no we're all in this together podcasters um i do love hidden brain it's it's good it's pretty short form and he recently interviewed this researcher anna lemke i believe her name is from stanford and she studies reward networks in the brain and she studies Mm. dopamine and she said that the way that our brains are designed are to uh, they are designed to receive dopamine as a reward after seeking and seeking usually involves a struggle so just a great mm. you know visual is like a human like going to find berries like going out in the forest yeah. to gather berries and they're hot and they're tired but they're they're like struggling and then they see the berry and they get that berry and it's so rewarding and they get this flood of dopamine but it's like their tank was was run dry and then the flood of dopamine right. filled their tank up right as opposed to today when we are starting at baseline you wake up in the morning you're chilling everything's good you live in america your house is safe and like you know you have food and like right. life, life is abundant you have water there's been no struggle there's been no like tapping into your reserves and like seeking but then you open your phone and you get dopamine 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 just hammered into your brain what happens then it feels really really good we all love dopamine feels great but then our brains, our bodies are wired for homeostasis. They're wired to balance. So in order to achieve balance now, the body will literally overcompensate and drive dopamine down into the basement, making our average normal lives feel worse and more depressing. So there is a really critical thing happening here with the addiction to screens, the addiction to scrolling and posting and liking and sharing, and the role that that's playing in lowering everyone's baseline threshold ability to enjoy life by making the baseline feel more depressing to compensate for the flood of excess dopamine that we're getting all the time. Right. That's a complex one. Um, I... I mean, that's, it's, yeah. And it, it's so hard to escape that because it's just right there. It's been incorporated into all of our lives. Um, I saw this really cool documentary called Social Network. It's on Netflix. Uh, they showed it like in my English class. Um, and it's, it's talking about exactly that. And so when you're talking about teen mental health, um, taking a pharmacological, that's how you say it, yeah, pharmacological. pharmacological, pharmacological standpoint, um, you have all these kids using social media and whatever the internet and their devices and getting all this stimulation and the dopamine and then whatever. And then especially in this area, um, everyone feels a lot of people. Yeah. They feel depressed and it, um, you could probably go into the science about it more than I could, but, um, a lot of people, are very heavily medicated at my age and it's I've never been um, medicated so I I don't I I can't really weigh in on it like I'm sure that there are some people who um like need it to an extent but it it is very interesting as an outsider to observe because like um if you take into account all of the outside stimuli that are impacting your mood and your well-being and all this stuff and then you're patching it up with pharmaceuticals it it just yeah it makes you wonder like what's what's happening 
I do think that missing from the average person's understanding of mental health issues and um, let's say psychiatric or neurological dysfunction is that the brain is constantly seeking homeostasis. Right. So it's not the case that more is more. Like we want to boil it down to dopamine, serotonin, good. Less dopamine, serotonin, bad. <laughs> Drug makey, serotonin, dopamine, go uppy, good. And actually, when drug makey dopamine serotonin go uppy, brain go must make it go downy. Right. Like, unfortunately, our bodies are not um, basic machines. They are highly intricate organisms that are constantly, every single second, doing this work in the background. Which is crazy. We're just not thinking about, right? Right now, you and I are both not dropping dead. And it's not <laughs> just because we're avoiding almonds. It's also because our heart is pumping and our lungs are working and it's all these systems are working together. But, you know, if my heart was racing when this started because I was so excited, then eventually it's going to slow it down. It's going to calm me back down. Like the body right. will always seek homeostasis and especially in the brain because it's a very very delicate balance in there for mm -hmm. making this whole body work right the brain's in control so when you actually take medications that are forcing serotonin to cluster right around the neuron and not allowed to be reabsorbed you know the serotonin reuptake inhibitors right um or drugs that are pushing dopamine things like stimulants for adhd you're actually creating a brain that is going to basically be constantly adapting to those drugs and long-term potentially causing really negative outcomes. So I want to quickly transition from that um, to just how connected everything is, because in addition to allergies being on the rise, also things like eczema are on the rise. They're very connected. I just read an article today on the allergic march, um, which is allergies, eczema, and asthma, and how they often go together and present together which you know about intimately. Um, but there is a really interesting class of drugs, which I really only know about. Well, eventually I started to read about them on PubMed, but I first heard about them in a hotel room because I never watch TV except when I'm in a hotel room. <laughs> and I'm almost never in a hotel room, but I was on a business trip and I was in a hotel room and I was watching morning television and there was an ad for this drug. I think it was called like du Dupexant or something. And it was an eczema drug. Yeah. And and so being me, I was like, ooh, like what's the physiology? Like what's the mechanism? Right. So I looked it up and it was like an interleukin three, I think, blocker. Mm -hmm. Interleukins are cytokines. We all heard of cytokines during COVID because we heard this narrative that one of the biggest problems with COVID was it caused these cytokine storms, this right. major overreaction of the immune system. Right. So the average person day to day, you know, is always producing cytokines as part of the immune system. It's also part of how our brain functions. One of the things that we don't hear talked about a lot is that a lot of the compounds that we think of as immunological compounds like histamines and cytokines are also neurological compounds and actually function as neurotransmitters, right? Let's talk about it. Let's go into it, folks. Um, really quickly, interleukin, I believe it was interleukin 4, and I looked it up. In addition to being a known dominant actor in the pathophysiology of eczema, mm -hmm. atopic dermatitis, sure, it's also a cytokine that is responsible for short-term memory storage. Hmm. And in studies on mice, given these interleukin-4 blockers, they were put through a maze where the whole point of the maze is to train them to remember where the exit is by giving them treats. 
the mice on the IL-4 blockers could never remember where the exit was. And they will never because they have blocked the functionality of the cytokine interleukin-4, which is responsible for short-term memory storage. These drugs are approved for use in children as young as, I believe, four. So would those memory blockers possibly be present in antidepressants or antipsychotics or stuff like that? It depends. Um, When we say antidepressant and antipsychotic, we are referring to many different classes of drugs, so it's a little bit difficult to speak that broadly about it. But yes, there are compounds that fall within those categories that do have known impacts on cognition and specifically memory storage. And yes, there are compounds that are known to the public as antipsychotics that also have antimicrobial and anti-immune functionality. So anyway, I bring that up because your generation is really, I think, um, my generation was ravaged by antibiotics and maybe like over-the-counter meds. Like our parents were like, take some more Tylenol, fuck your liver. That's still. Yeah, that is really common now too. Yeah. Maybe even more so. I mean, so. when I had my braces, I know I was popping Tylenol. It's like there was no Tylenol. tomorrow. <laughs> and drinking alcohol. She hates her liver, folks. She wonders why she broke no, out. Oh, I love my liver. Oh, I love your liver too. <laughs> She's nice. Yeah. She's probably really And cute. she grows back. She grows back. The liver is amazing. I think it's okay. And you have a gallbladder. I do. She's doing good work. Uh-huh. And you eat well. Yeah. You've done some cleanses. Yeah. You take your probiotics. I do. We take seed. Yeah, we do take seed. Seed, please sponsor us. Oh, or do sponsor <laughs> us. Currently not sponsored, but I would welcome a sponsorship. I really love the, like reusable containers yes i feel super like planet friendly when i use them i also do and i recently subscribed to like the bulk program so we're getting you know fewer shipments also very oh my gosh and we're basically just her warriors here yeah so speaking of being an eco warrior (laughs) i just want to talk about the future oh my gosh let's do it because your generation is very acutely facing stress real world stress Looking at the changing climate, the destruction of topsoil, stress and distress. Um, Distress, distress. You know, I'm worried about whether or not a lot of people your age will be able to have healthy pregnancies due to long-term... Radiation. Radiation, pharmaceutical use of compounds that aren't safe during pregnancy and a brain that has adjusted to being on them and can't go without them. Whack. But let's be honest. There's also the question of whether or not we're going to be able to grow food. Well... So what's your plan? Like, how are you going to fix it? <laughs> Don't worry, guys. She's got it. She has a plan. It's all me. Aurora, you Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's really hard because, okay, so I took an environmental science class this year, which was super cool and a little bit depressing at 8 in the morning when you're learning about how the corals are dying. It was just casual. Um, and it just feels so big. And you're like, wow, like, I can't, it's like, it's like what everyone says about voting. Like, oh, well, like, why would I vote? Like, one person isn't going to skew it. But then, like, when you apply that to, like, a large scale, like, everyone thinks that, like, well, nothing's ever going to happen. So, like, if I'm like, well, like, I won't recycle today because, like, ugh, like, where is it really going? Are they actually recycling? Like, no one else in my neighborhood is doing this legit, legitimately. So, like, why would I do it? Okay, well, scale that up and now we're polluting so it's just scary because like what can you do and um it's really daunting because this is i don't i don't know it's not cliche but this is the world that we've created for ourselves and like i want to have kids i want to be able to 
eat food and, you know, live my life. I don't want to have to, like, I don't know. Like, it's, it's really scary. Um, but I don't know, like, what do you do? <laughs> what, what do you do about it? That's a great question. <laughs> Although I did ask you your plan for it. Um, and I'm now terrified that you didn't have a fully fledged one. You guys, she has no plan. I just put me in Paris. I'll do the whole negotiation thing. She's got this. You and Greta are going to figure and Greta, this out. Oh, and me. This Greta. is why I'm on this this path you should get Greta on the pod oh my god Greta if you're out there we'd love to have you Seed would you sponsor an episode with Greta on it I think so I think Seed could get Greta here Seed could get Greta yeah okay well this is our goal we have goals we're putting it on the vision board yep um I do think that microbiomes teach us why all of this matters I know you think that I, I know Elaborate. that you know. I know she, this is me busting into her room at midnight. Aurora, Wait. listen, I just had this revelation, okay? The microbiome is a metaphor for all of society. And I'm like, uh-huh. And you're like, I was on TikTok thinking about my dopamine and also enjoying dopamine. Um, but no, I do think that when we look at the microbiome and we go to the store and we want to buy a probiotic to make our microbiome healthier... It's like, uh, what, what, like, what could this one microbe do, right? Mm-hmm. And actually, it's true. Like, taking one single microbe alone really is never going to make that big of a difference. But that's not the reality of the microbiome. The, the reality of the microbiome is trillions of organisms, right? Is many different species and many different subspecies and this constant exchange of genetic information and a constant creation of metabolites, which are then feasted on by other microbes. Like, the reality of the microbiome is the reality of humanity, which is that we're all in this together. And like you say, it feels like one person alone can't do anything. Yeah. And, you know, one microbe alone is not that powerful. But when they work together, they create really, really powerful changes, um, either for the good or for the bad. Yeah. And it's scary because we can't control what anyone else does. Right. Um, but I think that when it comes to, again, looking at the microbiome as a metaphor for all things, one of the reasons that it's really important to have a healthy and diverse microbiome is because a diverse and balanced microbiome actually trains the immune system to respond in a healthy, balanced way, in a way where that goes after actual pathogens and does not go after, say, an almond, right? (laughs) Um, Similarly, like we need a well-balanced, diverse society to create a healthy world and to move the world forward. So I think, again, not to sound cliche, (laughs) but there is that um, quote that's something like, don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive, because what the world needs is more people that have come alive. It's cute. It is cute, right? Um, And I think that the reality in that statement is this. Each of us has at least one thing, if not many things, that are difficult work, but when we are doing them, it doesn't feel difficult to us. Mm. It makes us feel energized. Yeah, that resonates totally. And so when you find that thing that you would happily crush yourself for, which you can look around you and go, objectively, not everyone feels this way. Like, right. look, look at my friends. They don't want to do this work that I'm doing. This wouldn't bring I them joy. I think that's cool. I think that's cool, though. Yeah. And then we kind of have to just trust that if we crush it at the thing that makes us come alive and our peers do that, too, that eventually we will find well-balanced solutions and we'll all we'll all carry a little piece of the puzzle and then we can bring it back together and work together to solve big problems. Sounds easy. Simple. 
Yeah. Well, you know, you know, my saying is like zoom in, zoom out, zoom in, zoom out. I that's been really big for me this past like year and past few months, like just like perspective, like not even just like. Like, yeah, having a having perspective is so important and like having the awareness and like, OK, like I'm very privileged and like I'm very blessed to live this life. And there's people over here not living the way that I am, but also just like thinking like I'm here, like I'm alive and like that in of itself is a miracle and that is so cool like let me like enjoy every second let me like savor this moment because like wow like let me like zoom out so I'm able to zoom in and enjoy my time here what will you do with your one wild precious life I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm 36 and I'm still figuring out what I want to be when I grow up. Which has been great for me because now I know that you don't have to have all your stuff figured out like now. Yeah, no, that's critical. And I think um, I do hope over time to be able to reach and talk to more young people, teenagers and college age kids, because my experience of going back to school as an adult part of the reason it was so cool was just being able to bond with college kids and yeah. sort of show them like, you know, you don't have to do it one way. Right. It's okay. And like my experience of education is super enriched by the fact that I lived a life before I came back here and now I know why I'm here. Right. So I'm glad that you can see me. I've said this to you before, but one of the good things about being a teen mom, it's very hard, but it's very gratifying to know that you actually have watched me become who I am and have helped me become who I am, inspired who I am. It's not like you were born and I was already like fixed and done and perfect. You know, you were born and I was like, huh, yeah, who am I? And like, who are we going to be together? So um, I'm grateful for that experience. I'm grateful too. I'm really grateful. Oh. Oh. Well, Aurora, Samara, Bosco, the first. The first. <laughs> I think we are coming up here on our time together. I think we might be. There's so much more that I wanted to get into. Is there? You know, before we close, just yeah. tell me real quick. Okay. How do you think being raised in a bar and restaurant has made you better at working in restaurants? Do you see a connection? I mean, to be honest, I don't really remember too much of my time at the Gates or at Culture Shock, but I I think it made me comfortable around large groups of people that I don't know and like loud settings and stressful moments. Um, I love working in a restaurant. I love it. I love new people. I love getting to like act and like put on a show and like I, I love that I get to make I love that potentially this one meal that someone's having, like I have the power to make their day that much better just by serving them a good meal like that. I love that. Um, so it sort it definitely set me up for my interest in restaurants. Um, and I think it, it made me very easygoing and flexible and go with the flow, which has come up as a negative trait at some points in my life. But also I really appreciate it because I think there's a lot of value in being able to adjust and, um, you know, not like I, I would identify myself as a type B personality. And I feel like that helped like growing up in a restaurant, growing up in a bar, 
it really impacted that because it's so unpredictable and you just kind of have to be like, okay, like I'm going to go with it. Like I'm going to do it. Um, so I really did appreciate that. It was, it was interesting. It was fun. <laughs> I had fun. Um, the stuff that I do remember, I remember it fondly. So falling asleep on a couch during staff <laughs> meetings. She remembers it all fondly. There was all you can eat allergen friendly soft serve ice cream. So Yum. And a ball pit. And a ball pit. And kombucha on tap. And kombucha. And, oh my god, the pulled pork at the gates was to die for. Oh, that was so good. so good. Shout out to the piggery. So good. Heather, we miss you. <laughs> well, so I think we figured it out. I think we actually came to how we're going to save the planet. One conversation, one podcast, one research paper, <laughs> and one meal at a time. Because you really can impact one person over one meal right and that impact can be either positive or negative and if it's positive that can have a ripple effect that can, can potentially i think that's beautiful impact the whole world yeah so thank you so much for being here thanks for having me i hope you'll come back and talk to me again i hope you'll have me again this was great we'll do a follow-up after you you know finish the college oh application god. journey and we'll see where we are oh my god yeah let's do it Thank you for listening to the Marion Flaxman Network Podcast. Today's episode was produced by Brain Trust Productions and brought to you by Informed Solutions Consulting. For more information on me, Marion, or any of my other episodes, please visit my website at marionflaxman.com.